Justin, I am so excited to hear your story. Uh, I, I just, again, you're so inspiring to me. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us, Lindsay, Lindsay, what are you grateful for today and why? Today, I am grateful for my health. Today, I'm grateful that my body is functioning in a way that allows me to sit here and get to know you um, and connect with another human who just clearly has so many bright lights shining from them and wants to impact people on a massive level. And I'm, I'm the same way. So I'm, that's what I'm grateful for today. That's a really good inspiration. The action that you've taken is so inspiring because look, anyone that's decided that, hey, I'm going to be a, a mouthpiece for this, or I'm going to bring awareness to this, the commitment level that it takes is far beyond most people's comprehension, unless if they've done it themselves. It's it's real easy to look at the people that want to advocate for others or the people that are on soapboxes, so to speak, and they're speaking their minds about a cause they care about. And it's easy to look at them and say, well, they're nuts or whatever, when you don't disagree, when you don't agree, but then when you do agree with them, like, yeah, we need people like this. But that said, no one really understands what it's like to fight for a cause, especially when it's a personal cause, um, until they've done it themselves. And so anyone who's willing to do that, whether I agree with them or not, I have respect for them. But in this case, you're fighting okay. the fight on something that we all need to be aware of because it can affect um, it can affect us all one way or the other, whether it's directly or indirectly. So I'm, I'm really grateful for you, 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 that share. I'm grateful for your, your, your story, but I would like to know, I guess, initially is, can you tell the audience exactly what ocular melanoma is? Ocular melanoma is considered a rare cancer. Uh, it is a cancer of the eye. So it's a tumor that grows inside of your eye. Um, <clears throat> it's considered rare because it impacts only four or five out of a million people. And researchers are just starting to sort of get a handle on where the heck this thing comes from. Like why a tumor in the eye? Because something interesting about ocular melanoma is that it doesn't necessarily act or spread. Um, and it's not treated in the same way as more your classic skin melanoma. And so, yes, it can start with like a freckle on your eye, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, if it spreads, it can spread to your liver, your bones, your lungs after your eye, even if even if they catch it all when they when they take the tumor out or when they treat the tumor. It's thought to grow in the blood layer. So your blood is what can carry it around to other organs in your body. And since your liver is what filters out all the, all the crud in your body, um, that's, that's where it typically goes next. And it, so what's interesting, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I'm so sorry, but it, so it's not in the same family as regular melanoma? It's not, no, oh. no, isn't that wild? Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, Never mind. So, it's well, and well, here's the thing, like cancer is cancer. So regardless of the, the level, the location, it's still cells that are not happy. <laughs> it's dis-ease in your body. And so I think from just like a human level, any sort of cancer diagnosis is going to connect you with someone else who has either lived it or has had a family member who has lived it. Uh, and especially if, if the prognosis wasn't good and if, if it did end in, in death, that's something that's just such a, um, such a sobering connection 
but a, a powerful one nonetheless. Um, and in my case, my tumor was big enough where they had to remove my entire right eye. And so you can hardly tell because, you know, the, the beauty of science and, and the art of science when it comes to prostheses and prosthetics uh, is that I have a fake eye that you'd never guess is fake. Um, but last summer I had my entire eyeball removed. It's called an enucleation procedure because the tumor was big enough where they didn't think any sort of radiation could actually treat it in uh, an effective way that wouldn't ultimately kill me um, based on the level that it would need. So my surgeon removed my entire eye and I've been living that one-eyed life for, <laughs> for about a year now. Um, but just to, to kind of paint the picture on the impact of, of this kind of disease, basically what my um, medical professionals told me was that that tumor was likely growing for years. And because I had never gotten my eyes dilated and because I sort of ignored some of the very, I'll call them very like regular eye symptoms, like my eye kind of felt tired every once in a while. And I kind of had like a, a little flash of light across my vision every once in a while. Nothing that would sound the alarm necessarily and say, hey, you've got to get this checked out. Something's wrong um, until finally I did. And my eye doctor was like, we got to remove your eye. Uh, there's a big tumor growing in it. So I had two weeks between diagnosis and actual eye removal. Um, so it's been a very, your face is what my face looked like <laughs> when I was told that I was going to lose my eye. Something interesting about ocular melanoma too is it's still something that researchers are trying to figure out, like how it spreads, why it spreads, what the chances of spread are. I did have a biopsy of my tumor that essentially puts me in a a high, highest risk category for spread to my liver or elsewhere in the next three to five years. And so it sort of paints a picture of you never know what someone next to you is going through. They can oh, yeah. look like the happiest, most fulfilled, most, you know, successful, just like joy filled person. And you never know what they're going through. And I feel like the connection that it's allowed me to make with other humans just on a basic human experience level is just, there are very few words that I can really use to, to emphasize um, how, how powerful that's been. How do you, how do you, okay, so, but you've become an advocate already, like you yeah. just went through this. This is not like a childhood thing that you've had time no. to heal from and recover and get your mind right. This all just happened. Like, not even a year ago, right? Right, yeah, well, about a year ago. So early June last summer. So talk about the advocacy side. I mean, look, this is this conversation is gonna go a lot of different directions, so hang on. But like, <laughs> how difficult <laughs> is it to advocate for something where people don't even really know that much about it? They don't know the source of it. It's not like, although I'm anti-sunscreen uh, anti guy because I used to make skincare products and I know what goes in mm. the sunscreen, I wouldn't put that on my body. But it's not like you can put sunscreen in your eyeball. So it's not, you know, it, it's when I was thinking, oh, you were, uh, you're, this happened from sun gazing too much, not yeah. wearing sunglasses, I mean, even though I sun gaze and I don't wear sunglasses, but I'm, I'm trying to figure, wrap my head around how in the world you get melanoma in your eyeball. And then how do you advocate? And how do you fight? So talk about, because that's got to be a weird psychological challenge to fight for something, but it's like fighting the invisible enemy, if you will. 
talk about that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, so I was I've been told through all the research that I've done and through all the professionals that I've spoken with, it has nothing to do with staring at the sun. It has nothing to do with the sun at all, which is why it's in a different category um, of traditional melanomas. Um, so when you talk about the advocacy piece, something that I learned really quickly is just how alone I felt, never having heard of that type of cancer before, never having met anyone who has had that type of cancer, never knowing anyone who's had a fake eye. I mean, now I people are coming out of the woodworks, of course, um, saying, oh, my grandpa had a fake eye, or oh, my cousin has a fake eye, or oh, I have a fake eye. And it's, it's amazing how all of a sudden it kind of perks you up to being more perceptive to the likenesses around you um, and the people that you're surrounded with. Um, but the advocacy piece came very easy for me and I'll tell you why. In my full-time job, the career that I'm in, I work in the sterile processing field and I work for a company who creates innovative media, education, um, training resources for the people in hospital settings that sterilize and clean and inspect surgical instruments. And that's a mouthful of things to say, basically, you could have the best surgeon in the world. And if their tools are crap, your surgery might not be successful, to put it very bluntly. And so these, these professionals that my team at this company Beyond Clean supports, and, and really feeds with resources and education and media, these are the people who are tasked with ensuring that that surgeon is utilizing the highest quality instrumentation that they can possibly produce, okay? I had never been a surgical patient prior to last summer. I've spoken the language of sterile processing saying, this is why it matters, patient safety matters, the people, your loved ones are potentially going to be on the receiving end of the work that you're doing every day. And I've never been able to put myself in that position and say, guess what? It's my turn. And so now, or then I was faced with the advocacy that I had been doing on behalf of sterile processing professionals to help them, you know, build the culture of quality, help them understand that what they do matter. Because here's the thing, there are only a handful of states that require sterile processing professionals to be certified. And you think about it, your dog groomer has a certification, your hairdresser has a certification, your nail technician has a certification. You want to produce your ears. In, they, have to ha they have to be certified, exactly. But there are only a handful of states. California is not one of them. Minnesota is not one of them. And that's where we're based out of. Yeah. So, um, I came from California, so yeah. I this is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And so I've been advocating for this particular group of healthcare professionals for a long time. So all of a sudden, I was placed under the knife, so to speak, of these instruments that were potentially cared for well, and potentially not cared for well. And so that advocacy from a patient safety perspective, just naturally transitioned into this super rare all of a sudden I'm gonna have my entire eye taken out of my head. I wanna make sure that those instruments are of highest quality. As with any procedure, it could be a, a spine procedure, a hip procedure, it can be you know, something that's non-invasive. All of those instruments need to be cared for. So then when it came to that lonely feeling upon diagnosis of like, I've never met anyone that has had this cancer. I've never met anyone that's had this procedure done. Um, 
I know what enucleation means, kind of, but having to basically learn a new language to support this new diagnosis that was going to be part of my life now, the, the advocacy just came natural to find my people, yeah. to find the people that would, would truly resonate with, okay, all of a sudden you look healthy, so you must be fine. Yeah, like, that You one. must be okay now, you know? Um, and it's interesting when there's, when there's five out of a million people that, that get diagnosed with something like this and you go to a national event, there are like 50, 60 people there, <laughs> you know, it's not a big, it's not a huge community, but there's an organization um, called the Ocular Melanoma Foundation um, that's doing a lot of work to build their research database and really try to understand more about this this diagnosis more about this disease. So I I don't do things on a small level also as just from a, a purely human and I feel like we're connected in that having known you for the solid 15 minutes that <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we're not meant for for small things and I have it within my being and within my skill set to sort of put myself in front of audiences and share my story and, and really build connection through my story um, that just fuels me and motivates me. And it just comes as, as sort of second nature, I guess. Yeah, you're a star. I mean, and I mean that in the, <laughs> wow. you know, we're obviously a, a movie and entertainment and new media organization. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what we do. But at our core, we're a personal development organization. And right. we believe and if really, and, and, and this is collect, this is from the leadership. I'm not speaking for anyone in my organization, but I'll, I'll speak for myself, but I can, I guess I can speak for the leadership too, because we're in this mission together. I believe there's a shift happening and it's the educators, it's the teachers, it's the people that, you know, step up and become the mouthpieces for causes that people need to know about. I believe that those are going to become the modern day celebrities, especially the ones that step into utilizing all that's available with media. And you're doing that. Mm -hmm. You have your own movie company and you're a healthcare company. <laughs> but that is, that's media. Neutrogena is a prime example of, uh, of where things are going. Neutrogena made the decision mm -hmm. to quit. And I, they could have changed their mind. I just remembered the article. In fact, I haven't even seen a commercial for them since I read the article, but they said that they were no longer going to do commercials, but they were going to create content around the brand. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for ad space that can be fast forwarded through. And if I'm a, you yeah. know, if I'm a creator and I'm dependent on advertising dollars, like everything's got to be fair. And technology is wrecking the old system. And that some people can look at it as bad. I personally look at it as a really great thing it's an exciting time because it gets to be the great equalizer because we're going to have this period of time where the playing field gets leveled for everyone. And right. but some people that have exceptional leadership or some company, some individuals and some companies that have exceptional visionary leaders, having yeah. the, the vision and the, the guts to say, this is what's coming. I'm preparing now and already be set up. And your organization is is like that. Our organization is equipped for the future. I don't know if you can even answer this question, but were you with the, or, the company when they started to make this shift and 
build a whole production studio <laughs> and everything else? Yeah, I love this question. Um, so the company I'm with is called Beyond Clean and they've been around for about six years. And the two co-founders who actually started it just started it purely as a podcast. So what? six years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? one of one of my, the co-founders, Justin Poulin, who had been podcasting in the, the sports arena, just as like a side hobby, connected with Hank, the other co-founder on LinkedIn and was like, dude, you're, you're asking really good questions about the sterile processing industry. You're putting out amazing articles and content. It takes it takes a really awesome writer. And he said, you know, have you ever considered doing a podcast about sterile processing, which honestly, in the grand scheme of scheme of things, sterile processing is such a niche, tight knit sector of the healthcare space, like the healthcare space is, is this sterile processing is this right at the center, right? It's the heart, <laughs> if you will. Um, and Hank, Hank's response was, yeah, I've thought about it, but I don't know the first thing about podcasting. And Justin's like, oh, I got you. I got you. So they actually launched Beyond Clean as a sterile processing podcast six years ago and realized within, I think, two or three months that there were global listeners from 13, 14 different countries. And they were like, okay, I think we're on to something. So when I joined the team almost five years ago, we expanded and said, okay, this is our area of expertise. We've all worked in the healthcare space. We've all worked in sterile processing. We have something that we can use and something that we can offer to people who are looking to engage that space. And so uh, while we were creating content for the frontline clinicians in sterile processing, we were also developing a set of services for new product development companies, healthcare manufacturers and service providers, people who really wanted a new way, an innovative way to utilize new media to engage that audience. And so that's, and you know, when it comes to video production, like this is near and dear to my heart. Our video production crew are longstanding friends of mine. It's a group of, a set of brothers, Christian and Aaron are their names. <clears throat> Tallest brothers you'll ever meet. I think they're both like, approaching seven feet like they're real really up there but i thought i was tall done in the, right, right, they're not that tall. <laughs> but what they've done like they're storytellers at heart and technology and video production equipment and editing just comes so naturally to them that we've now come alongside our manufacturers and service providers and said hey we can do feature films about your company as legacy pieces. We can do product promotion videos that are gonna stand out. Like we do everything from the storyboarding to the scripting, to the custom music scores, to, I mean, you name it. Uh, and I'm happy to share some examples with you, but it's been three and a half years now that we've been offering video production services through Beyond Clean and we're just getting started. It's, it's a, a really fun ride because you know this, I don't even have to say this to you, but I'm saying it more so to keep the conversation going is that very few things speak to you in the same way as video. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of elements with video. There's the music that accompanies the message. There's the visual that accompanies the message. I've been watching one of your one of your videos uh, through Dirt Merchants called Vino Royale. I just got got started watching it. And just the the music at the beginning is like, holy crap, I'm in for like a ride. <laughs> this is amazing. We are so, very passionate about the music selection at Dirt Merchants Movie Company. Well, yes. It goes. 
it shows. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you just uh, made everyone really very that. happy that you get it. <laughs> Good job. So <laughs> well, thank you to your to your team because it it really makes a big difference, and and that we get it. We get it. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. The yeah, the music is. Uh, we're all very passionate about music and. We love musicians, love artists, and you know the every piece of music that is chosen for the film is, I mean, look, every movie they choose the music, but there was a lot of extra special care to ensure that the message went along with the scene, but also mm -hmm. the the dialogue of the film. So yep. sometimes there was writing our own music, and sometimes yep. it was you know working with other artists and. But we that that is that uh, honestly that for me for you to notice that immediately is <laughs> like we're doing this is good you know it's it we, it's it's yeah. you know this you're a creative and a creative and a visionary and all these other things when you create something and you put something out for the world to see and you you created it with this like okay this is what it is and then right. someone sees it like completely different I mean it's a little, you know, like, well, actually it was supposed to be that, but okay, good. I'm glad you saw that. But it, it, well, so it, I love the fact that you get it. Yeah. Well, and there's such power and such beauty in the nuanced way that people take in the content and actually consume the films too. Because even if your message was one thing, if someone else got something, got a different message, but it also landed in a powerful way for them, like, I feel like you did your job, you know? Fair point. Um, one thing that's nice too with our production guys, um, Christian and Aaron Ankrum, is they're musicians also. They were in a band called Gray Shot that used to tour. And so the custom scores that they do, they just like it just that also comes very naturally to them. So wait, that's a local Minnesota band, right? Yeah. Yep. I knew I've heard of them. Wait, so all of y'all are local? <laughs> yeah, we're all in Minnesota. I could just talk to you for days and because there's so many different directions to go and so much about your company and speaking and activism and awareness. But really what it comes down to is this, Lindsay, what is it that you want the world to know? Anything that's been burning on your heart to share, and it can be about anything, whether it's related to what we're talking about or just something completely a different direction. I would love to give you the floor to share your heart. Wow. That's very kind. That's very kind. And honestly, it's, sort of felt like that electric chair situation every once in a while battling and navigating the uh, the diagnosis. But I love this question for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the keynote address that I'm actually putting together as we speak. Um, and it's called On Your Side, the exploring the renewability and the preciousness of time. And really it's a message about what a gift time is to wake up with every day and balancing that with the idea that time is precious and so making that move doing that thing that scares you saying yes to something you've always wanted to do saying no to something that's been just dragging you down day after day those are the things that i want people to just look at and say you know what i can make a different choice for myself today because time is precious and also because i've got more of it today so let's do this. And so that's really the main thing that I want to take on the road 
Um, and that's why I'm building a keynote address to do just that and really inspire people to take advantage of the idea and the opportunity to use their time in a way that's going to bring them joy, that's going to fill their cup, that's going to feed them, that's going to allow them to connect and to impact and to motivate and to inspire other people. I know so many people with incredible stories who are their own limitations. They put barriers in their own way. And I wanna be a living, breathing example of if you remove those self-induced barrier, barriers, those self-induced limitations, there is no limit. The sky is it, like that's it. And so with whatever time I am gifted, because it is a gift and it is precious, but it keeps renewing each day. And so I'm taking that as like the green light to go for it, right? With whatever time that I have left, I'm going to use it to do to do just those things. Um, and honestly, like getting the opportunity to, to speak with like minded individuals who who get the power of doing things differently and get the power of connecting on really cool levels, because you didn't have to reach out to me on LinkedIn. You didn't have to send a message introducing yourself and, and sharing the story about your dad, but you did. And I took that as a, wow, there's someone who I get to connect with who, uh, where else would our paths maybe cross? And so using that and just like turning it into this, I think is just such a beautiful example of the possibility that exists when you say yes to things. I want to know for you, you didn't ask for this. You didn't. You didn't say, hey, sign me up. I'm going to go out and sun. I'm going to put baby oil all over me or any of those other <laughs> things. Like you didn't say, hey, give me cancer. You didn't do that. So this comes out of the blue. This happens. I would imagine you. there's a moment of why me? What did I do to deserve this? Did that happen for you for even a second? Hmm. Yes. It happened to me because I think having kids magnifies those feelings to an indescribable level. Okay, time out real quick. So because that happened, I want to I want to ask you about the moment mm -hmm. that you decided that you were going to use this as fuel for your purpose and your mm -hmm. mission. That moment happened very quickly after diagnosis. I actually recorded um, a video. I think I recorded it about a week after diagnosis and a week before enucleation and used my diagnosis as a way to motivate sterile processing professionals to understand that there is a real living person with family, with kids, with dreams with a life they want to live on the receiving end of the gift and the skill set that they employ every day. And so that moment was very, very natural for me. And honestly, it's hard for me. It's not hard for me to say this anymore, but it has sounded crazy in my own head up until recently that I was the right person to get this. Like if I were to choose who to get this, it would be me because I have it in me to take it and inspire other people and motivate other people and let other people know who are scared out of their freaking minds that they're gonna leave their kids soon, that they're gonna leave their spouses soon, that they're gonna leave their 
the life that they've built too soon. To inspire them to take a breath, first of all, that somatic processing is important. To take a breath and understand that you don't have to die twice. You're still here. You don't have to die twice. And so that, that feeling was there and very real and very present, but it was also short-lived and I'm very grateful for that. You're so inspiring. I'm a fan. Uh, I'm a fan. And I, I do hope we get to meet in person. And